Welcome to Series 2 of Assembly Point, a monthly podcast by the Fire Protection Association. Following a successful first series, Assembly Point provides a collective space in which industry leaders can explore the most pressing issues in fire safety and share expert information and advice. Please be aware that the views expressed by guests in this podcast are their own and not necessarily those of the FPA. We hope you enjoy this episode of Assembly Point. Hello and welcome everybody to the final episode of Series 2 of the FPA's Assembly Point podcast. I'm Chris Miles, Commercial Director at the Fire Protection Association. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be, I'm humbled to be in the company of a, a panel of guests who are renowned experts in fire safety. Um, starting with Adam Turk, CEO of Siderise Group, Dennis Davis, Executive Officer of the Fire Sector Federation, and Amanda Long, Chief Executive of the Considerate Constructors Scheme, Building a Safer Future, and the Code for Construction Product Information, CCPI. To kick us off, last month the Fire Sector Federation launched a white paper on developing a national strategy for fire safety, uh, and that will be the focus of our, of our discussions today. Thank you all for joining me. So let's make a start then, and, and in doing so, I'll caveat that by saying that the, the discussion related to the, to the strategy could very well be long-winded and take a way more time than we've got today. Um, we've only got 40 minutes or so, um, so I, I, please accept that we can't cover every eventuality, every topic in there, but we will try and attempt to cover uh, some critical aspects and try and see how that affects how the strategy affects the, the the fire safety industry and the construction sector in particular, and then how that um, influences government and the and the regulator. The white paper, the the strategy document, seeks to create a holistic approach to effectively managing fire risk uh, within buildings and achieving a sustainable and a safer society via a strategy, which we haven't had for some time. This document was, was launched at the fire conference just last month in, in October. Dennis, uh, I know you were uh, absolutely instrumental in, in bringing the document together. You did most of the legwork from, from what I remember. It, it says at the bottom, it's an outcome, uh, it's been produced by the Fire Sector Federation Fire Strategy Board. Um, so for the benefit of our listeners and viewers, could you just kind of explain the, the, the board and, and where it fits and what its remit was, is? Okay, thank you very much, Chris, and uh, thanks for the invitation to join the podcast. The Fire, Fire Safety Advisory Board existed a, a decade or so ago, and the Fire Strategy uh, Group that now work, is working with this paper and has produced this paper, a broader group, um, replicate some of the thinking that was around then, which was incidentally about the same time as the Fire Sector Federation was formed. And they, they came into existence, one disappeared and the other came into existence, I should say, because really the government was reducing its scale, wanted industry and the Fire and Rescue Service to do more of its own thing. Now, during the intervening period, one of the consequences that we feel has happened is that there's been a disconnect appearing uh, along the way, very much between how policy, fire safety policy in the UK is developed, how things like um, businesses like the building uh, and construction sector has developed, developed rapidly, 
And our fire safety overall has started to drift and literally become a little bit complacent, only to have the shock of the Grenfell Tower fire, which has now forced everyone to refocus again. What is very apparent in that process is that we've literally uh, taken our eye off the ball and have lost sight of the fact that fire really needs to be a priority in everybody's agenda, needs to be up there, considered all the time. And that overall, there needs to be a broad, holistic view taken across all sectors, not just the construction sectors, all sectors, that seeks to look at fire in the round. So that when we do things, um, we do take into account fire and its implications. Otherwise, our view is you will not have a resilient and a sustainable environment, full stop. That, of course, to us is fairly obvious because of what's happened in the, tra the tragedy that's happened. And what we don't want constantly is to face this process, which is how we appear to develop in the UK around fire and fire safety which is have a tragedy, try and fix the problems of that tragedy, move forward one step, only for a decade or so later, another tragedy occurs and we go around the same loop, trying to fill the same individual gaps, only for it to happen again. So we want to break that circle and we want collectively policymakers, the industries involved, and primarily here we're talking the built environment, so construction and building, sectors and the fire sectors to come together to try and look at this thing in a much more strategic way. And to do that, you need a strategy. This paper effectively calls um, for, for those groups to both consider the issues and to think about forming a strategy where collectively we can all work together to make the thing much better. And that primarily means having a, a good solid awareness of each other and what we're doing and how we're trying to move forward always trying to place um, fire somewhere in the agenda so that it's at least considered. So when a new innovative program happens in the building industry, people do say, would this affect fire? Does this affect fire? How might this affect fire? So at least we integrate it, not to stop things happening, but to actually ensure that what we do moves forward, but move forward in a safe, consistent way. And I think that's the debate, that's the discussion that we're trying to have. Create this awareness, try and get people to think about fire together and try and think about it holistically because these discussions have been going on within the fire sector for years, for years. The problem is we're talking too much to ourselves, and this board has been formed deliberately so it isn't just fire sector related. It looks to people from outside industries who are directly impacted and do directly impact the fire safety of people. And that's really the purpose of the discussion paper. And hopefully the coming together maybe early next year of a firmer strategy group that will make this work. So, so to be clear, thanks, Dennis. So to be clear, this is this is about developing a, a, a strategy. It isn't a strategy in itself. And to kind of emphasize Dennis's points, there's been a lack of thought about fire safety over the over the past decades probably and we've we've got complacent now this document's out there saying hey guys don't get complacent let's think about this properly and and develop something a bit a bit more concrete no no pun intended so the drivers behind the creation of the, of the document are, are now perhaps very understandable and and 
perhaps it's been obvious to some of us for a while that that this was this was needed. I think if we can turn to to Adam, what I'd, I'd like to expand on, if if I may, Adam, about the uh, is is where the proposed strategy fits into the to the overall landscape of fire safety in the in the construction sector, given your involvement in from from the construction side perhaps more so than the fire side or perhaps both but certainly certainly you have a good handle on on the construction sector and how that this proposal will be accepted by them thanks chris no it's really good um good set of questions there that you've raised i think the first thing that we've got to understand is that the construction industry generally is a very very fragmented industry um, we have a wide ranging number of organizations many of them uh, small, medium-sized companies, SMEs. And as a result of that, we end up with lots of different associations and organizations, lots of different views and comments, all filtering their way through. And by the time those views get to government, there isn't a lot of mass in those, in those voices and those sounds. And the idea of pulling everything together and saying, we need a singular voice. We need to pull together all the initiatives, all the ideas, all the creativity, all the drivers for change. And we need to create a singular voice to, to be able to sit with government and talk about the things that need that need to happen. I think that for me was the, the um, most important thing behind the white paper was about creating a singular voice through the Fire Sector Federation of those things that need to happen. And recognising, I think, at the same time that government doesn't have the expertise in fire that maybe it had many, many years ago. And therefore, it needs industry to help and advise it. But if those that advice, those thoughts are not coming through in any volume, they're coming through in a fragmented way, then government hasn't been listening. And that, that's something that we absolutely need to change. In terms of how industry will take that on board, obviously there'll always be pockets of the industry that want to keep their own kind of, this was this was ours. But for me, that's wrong. We, we, we've got some really key fundamental issues and we need to work together to, to create the solutions. And we don't need VHS versus Betamax. We need to agree what is the right solution and we need to work with that with that solution. And so I'm hopeful that the industry will recognise that there is a group through which all of their um, suggestions, ideas, requirements for change, considerations can come through, get the mass and the, the volume of the industry behind it. And then, then we can actually get some real change. And I think we, we'll, we'll come on to government in a minute. You talked about their... their awareness or their knowledge or their competence perhaps in in these subjects so we will we will come on to those adam so th thanks for that i i wonder if i can maybe throw a bit of a curveball at you and wonder if you've got some thoughts on what other critical aspects we needed i know you've been um fundamentally involved in the ccpi maybe it's uh you could just explain how that would support such a such a strategy yeah look i i think there are three areas really there's there's the area of regulation and then there's my two soapboxes if you like which is the area of competence generally and the area about information and particularly product information and the code for construction product information was established to reinstill trust in those people that use information about products that it can be trusted as being accurate up to date clear, accessible and unambiguous. And the Code for Construction Product Information has been introduced to create a level playing field at a higher standard 
for product manufacturers to raise their their game um, and create information that the the people using it can trust. And I think that's absolutely key. I would say over and over and over again, the two challenges go hand in hand. There is no point creating a really competent individual and giving them data that they can't trust. There is equally no point in creating phenomenal data that can be trusted and relied upon and handing it to somebody who's not competent to use it. And so it's absolutely fundamental that those two aspects go hand in hand. So it's uh, interesting you talk about your two soapboxes. I thought you had a lot more than two soapboxes, but we'll go with two for now. Maybe Dennis, if you'd allow Adam, if you'd allow Dennis to step up onto the competency soapbox for a minute. I know, I know you you've uh, been heavily involved in that. In that, Dennis, do you want to say a word on how that plays into the strategy? Yeah, very much so. I, uh, I and I think I think what Adam was saying about SME and regulation, and so on, is so critical to all this and. And product, you know, I mean, product components and systems, and uh, I, I see it all the while. And one of the big areas, um, anecdotally talking to, to colleagues in the federation, is around this competency thing, where all those things play together. What's you know, so so what's the point of having a component or a product that doesn't fit into a system it was never intended to fit in? And and if you're competent, you realise that instantly, and you don't do it. You, you cross-check it. And if you can track the information source back because the product has been well-tested and well-marketed and comes with the correct information and serials, you can track that back. But equally, from my side of it, I look at the, the fire risk assessors who go into these buildings and the fire engineers who are involved in some of the design criteria. It's a, it is a fact that when the legislation uh, emerged really around fire risk assessment, it was deliberately brought into being on the basis that individuals could carry out their own fire risk assessment. They didn't have to hire anyone to do it. It was deliberately done that way so that there wouldn't be, as the government of the time called it, a consultant's charter. Fast forward that uh, to the tragedy of Granville. And what do you see straight away? You see calls. How could you possibly end up in a situation like this? So a lot of the competency issues around fire risk assessment, for example, we've spent a great deal of time as a federation um, building up now what we think is quite a credible way forward of third party certification, individuals on registers, people who can actually demonstrate that they are competent in these tasks, codes of practice that will support that and advice to individuals to how to choose the right sort of fire risk assessor and listing these people nationally so that people can go into it and find them and, and use them. But when we look at what we have constructed as an industry, it comes back to this point Adam was making, it's quite small, quite discreet. And the difficulty then is that when you're confronting something like the number of buildings that now have to have their external walls at least looked at as part of the fire risk assessment, you find you've got a capacity problem. So you've got capacity and, cap uh, and capability issues that are in abundance. So industry has been working very, very hard uh, at the fire conference when this strategy document was released. We were able to put a slide on, which came from, from across industry, from the CIC group, the, the industry response group, that showed how all the different professional sectors have been working now at this for five years to try and improve the standard of the individual competencies that have to be done. But there are loads and loads of people in the SME sectors particularly who are not even aware I suspect of some of the challenges that are now coming down through the new regulations the 
a secondary legislation that will follow the Building Safety Act, for example. And it is very much about trying to reach those people and embed within them a cultural base that understands that competency isn't just a tick box and it isn't just a certificate that you've got for qualifying or something. It's something that lives and breathes and you have to be part of it. You have to continuously stay up to speed and you have to behave in a certain way. And I think industry's part of the white paper is very much about trying to get some of those messages over. So we're looking at competency and we're looking at things like modular and mass timber constructions, all part of that process alongside innovation, because innovation and the inevitable time lag that exists between a product actually coming into use and the standards and controls that really affect it being put into place will exist going forward because this industry, the building and construction sector in particular, are some of the most innovative industries, creative industries that we've got. So you're always going to be in a situation where regulation will lag behind where the industry itself is progressing. So it's critical to me. Thank you, Dennis. And we talked uh, about about government and one of the, the key messages from the paper is uh, ensuring that fire safety, and you mentioned it, Dennis, remains high on their agenda and it's fundamental to their thoughts in, in delivering regulations and, and requiring those operating uh, in the construction sector, if not other areas, to, to, to make sure they don't get complacent and, and bear fire safety in mind. At the fire conference in October, the, the new chairman of the all-party parliamentary fire safety and rescue group, Bob Blackman, seemed very, to me, seemed very enthusiastic, really engaged in, in, in this, in fire safety in general, but also in the development of a, of a strategy. Um, so Bob seemed to be engaged. I'm sure his enthusiasm will rub off to the all-party parliamentary group. What more do we need to do to, to get government engaged, bearing in mind, I think it's still a stated aim of them not to heavily regulate for, for lots of things. And okay, they've put the regulator in place, but I kind of think that's it now. They might just say, well, we've done our bit. Now it's up to you, the fire industry, you, the construction industry to, to go on and sort it out. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're spot on there. I mean, the, the parliamentarians, uh, and as you say, Bob Blackman and the group that specifically looks at fire is a good example, are on board. I, I don't doubt that for a moment. If you look at some of the transcripts of the legislation, the Building Safety Act, uh, the Fire Safety Act, when it was all going through, you can sense that in Parliament, the parliamentarians, as I say, are, are very much aware of this and want it right and want it done properly and they don't want these gaps opening up again. But of course the executive, the government, is the party where it happens uh, to a large extent. And yes, one of the good things that's, that's come out of all this tragedy is the fact that we now have an agency, all right, the Health and Safety Executive, with this new role, with the Building Safety Regulator. And I think how that grows and how that develops becomes quite crucial. I go back to, to Adam's point about SME, particularly in this area, and the same applies, I have to say, in uh, the fire sector, in a lot of industries 
in the fire sector, they are SMEs. In fact, in fire risk assessment and engineering, a lot of them are loan traders. So, you know, the context here is a lot of small things. And when you think of building, okay, we can all think of the shard. We can all think of the, the multi-million pound developments in, in London and Manchester, wherever. But most building is relatively modest and small. A great deal of it now is deregulated from planning, and you can do it at home, do all this sort of stuff. And a lot of it, a lot of it occurs in relatively low rise, and a great deal of it now, particularly, occurs in adaptation, changing the use of buildings. As our cities change, the centres, buildings that were retail become residential and so on and so forth. The picture I'm trying to paint is that this is a, a vast moving field and that really, although we've, we seem to have captured the idea of stopping catastrophe, which is really the major major hazards type approach, uh, which HSE is perfectly endowed to do. The vast majority of this industry, the point I'm trying to make, is out there in relatively small pieces. If you haven't got a culture, if you haven't got competency across the piece, then all these little problems might start to occur. I mean, we are very, very well aware of how buildings, modern buildings, can disappear quite quickly in fire. Not because they're badly constructed, but they're constructed in ways that allow transmission of fire because they are moving that fast in terms of innovation. Now, we want fast build homes like everybody does. The country's desperate for them. We want them built safely. So you ask the question, how do we do this? My argument is we go to the executive, the government, we convince the policymakers, i.e. the ministers responsible for these departments, and we've now got two looking after fire safety in the built environment, whereas we had one. Lord Greenow was you know, spread eagle between Dewey and the Home Office. Now we've got two separate ministers again. There's a risk of something falling in the gap. Underneath them, we've got obviously the civil service, and the, the thing that emerged to us was the loss of expertise in the civil service over the past decade. And beneath that process is all the regulatory and control and regime systems that exist. And our view is very straightforward. We need to get the expertise into that group of people. And we also need to get regime processes like culture and like this ability to look at innovation and modern methods, as people call them, although they're conventional methods now. So we build most things at the moment. We need to get these things looked at in a much more detailed way so that we, we change the way we look at the whole process. We actually have a viewpoint that says, yes, we're going to use these things because they're sustainable, but some of it is not very resilient to fire. We need to make it so it is resilient to fire, it is safe, and then we can just plough on faster and faster, building more and more homes. So it, it is about reaching those people as much as it is about reaching the parliamentarians. I think the parliamentarians will reinforce the view, but they expect people in government to do their bit and they expect people in industry like us to do our bit. Thanks, Dennis. Yeah, um, I mean, the culture change we've spoken about is is from the very top all the, all the way through. I do kind of worry that the focus is on high-rise residential buildings mm, and, and we forget the smaller ones which you talked about of course the risk is less 
with those, but we can't ignore them, and I, I wouldn't want us to ignore them. Um, if I could just move us on very uh, uh, unseamlessly to uh, to the, the the strategy document, trying to address the sustainability agenda, and that's obviously a big driver in in, in construction. Dennis touched on it before with modular buildings, with massive timber buildings. Um, Adam, I'm, I'm conscious, and, and it was a theme of, of, of the, uh, the fire conference. I'm conscious that governments, uh, as we just said, are likely to regulate heavily for, for fire safety. Um, we'll continue probably to see a deregulation uh, agenda. How will the construction sector take that responsibility and put in a system, particularly for modern methods of, of buildings, put in 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 a, a system that ensures fire safety is a, a, a good enough consideration with these new bills. And I've heard so many times that modular building in particular, but not just, creates cavities which are then easy to be exploited by, by, uh, by fire. And I know that's kind of close to your heart, obviously, from where you come from. Um, yeah. What do we need to do to make sure those things don't get overlooked? Industry can create its own pull, that clients, main contractors can demand that things are done properly. They can demand that people working on their sites demonstrate competence. They can demand that people designing use information that is trusted. And you can create that pull. I know the number of major contractors are getting ready to say that by date X, they will only use in their supply chain manufacturers that are CCPI verified. The, the, the industry can take responsibility for itself. And that was Dame Judith Hackett's point right at the start. It's not for government to legislate for the industry. It's about industry to sort itself out. But what we're doing is creating the tools and the agenda that allow those people to create the pull and demand that, that, that they get better. And I guess, and that does lead us on to volumetric because I am concerned that in volumetric, which I fully support, I've always said, dare, dare I say this too publicly, but I've always said you wouldn't buy a brand new car that was assembled in a muddy field on a rainy day. So why do you buy a building that is? Um, and I, you know, I think this is volumetric, this idea about factory manufacture, where you've got good quality control, good management of materials, you work in dry environment, you've got good uh, control of the labor and the competency and the standard is all fantastic. But in building volumetric, we're setting up a set of voids within a building that I'm not sure we've properly assessed from a perspective of fire. I'm not sure we've properly analyzed what happens if fire gets into the void and how do we stop fire and equally importantly, smoke from traveling through the building. Remember, smoke's the killer, not fire. You speak to some people who talk about there being no combustibility within the, uh, the void, which I disagree with. You've got wires, pipes, etc. But you know, you've also got to stop smoke spreading and we've got to work out how we do that. And we've not tested that. Um, and I think that that's an area that the industry has got to get its hands around and do something proper from a fire safety perspective. I go back to the old Cardington days of timber frame when we built that fantastic six story timber frame building in Cardington what, 20 years ago and we blew it up and set fire to it and did all sorts of stuff. And we learned how that building would respond in different situations. I think the same needs to be done with volumetric. Yeah, thanks, Adam. I, I, I'm not sure I got an answer that says, here's what we have to do. I, I see the drive from the tier ones. I see that coming. I think there's ulterior motives with some of that. 
uh, i.e. they've been caught out a little bit so they're now making sure it's they don't get caught out again and that's fantastic I don't care how it happens as long as it happens but i i want to make sure we've got a can um we've got something in place that ensures fire safety in these volumetric modular buildings and i don't know that i've heard an answer yet that says here's how we're going to do it and i know it's not easy but i want an answer i want somebody to say this is what we're doing dennis you've got a, a program in the fire sector federation running to to address that so maybe that's maybe that's a, a, a route a route forward um sorry i'll uh, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox now yeah but we've got to look at it chris and as, uh, as adam was saying i mean industrialized buildings should be better should be better you know i mean the conditions they're being built in is a much more controlled environment I mean, I also look forward to the day when we bring technology into some of this. I mean, even in constructed buildings, the ability to find a volume, uh, a cavity, and see how big that volume is, shouldn't be beyond us through science and technical tools. But it is at the moment, you know. So you should be able to inspect a building and check out a, a building to see just how big the cavity spreads are and all the rest of it. Really, the only thing that the government can help you with a great deal in this apart from big lumps of money if you want that, but really is legislative programmes. And they've done that. But when you look at the whole, you know, the setting of standards, the sort of research into innovations, the the production of exemplars that tier ones and all the rest can follow, the expectations and investments that are needed. When you look at all the lists of the parts of this band that you're trying to orchestrate, most of them, most of them belong to industry. They're nothing to do with government. We can set industry standards. We can do industry research. We can build exemplars and get good clients. We can protect workforces so that somebody can call out a failure and not be pushed down a path because, you know, it's their job and it's Friday afternoon and the contractor wants the job done and all that. We can make some investments in people, time, research, testing, and so on. And we can lay out the expectations of our sectors to say, this is what we really want out of this. Now, all of that doesn't need a government. It does need a central, singular voice with a strategy that says, this is how we're going to play this game. That's what this is about. You're asking for an orchestra w with a conductor, with somebody to, to lead that orchestra. And that's um, the strategy. That's the strategy. Yep. Agreed. Um, I'm a bit a bit worried we're playing dissonant jazz at the minute without, <laughs> uh, without a, a band leader. It's time culturally to stop cutting corners and do it properly. The tools are starting to exist to help people uh, to do that. Um, business leaders have got to take responsibility for making sure our buildings are safe. Great final word. Thank you. So, Dennis, Adam, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, it's been a, a fascinating, as I thought it would be, a fascinating discussion. And I really very much value your, uh, your contributions. For the next part of the episode, I'm very pleased to welcome another guest, Amanda Long, who is Chief Executive of the Considerate Constructors Scheme, Building a Safer Future, and the Code for Construction Product Information. Amanda, as you know, the Fire Sector Federation launched a white paper on developing a national strategy for fire safety last month at the Fire Conference in London, uh, and we're focusing on that in our discussion today. Uh, I've, I've already spoken to Adam and Dennis about
about them and, and reinforce that we can't be expected to cover all of the issues raised by the white paper, but go through some of the key um, important aspects. So, Amanda, presumably the proposed strategy coming from the white paper is just the start. Um, from from your perspective, then, what do you see as the other essential aspects that are critical to getting this right and putting in a strict structure that we can be confident with? Well, thanks very much for the question, Chris. Now, as 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 uh, as my colleagues on on this have, have sort of started to say, it is it is about joining up the dots and filling the gaps. That's absolutely key. So so some of the immediate uh, actions that have been um, uh, sort of brought forward through the strategy, continuing to work on raising standards within competency, looking at understanding and, and taking direct action towards improving, um, you know, the the use of some of the, the off-site modular buildings and, and managing the risk within those so that, so that there's, uh, you know, support for that new homes agenda, looking at some of the risk around mass timber buildings and understanding that better and and then and, and then also staying on top of innovation in construction and and uh, whether that's materials whether or not it's practices methodologies there is a lot of change in innovation and trying to stay on top of that from a, a fire safety perspective are all going to be sort of key as immediate actions but absolutely essential across all of it is we can focus on those things but if we haven't got a, a leadership and cultural approach right the way across the built environment sector that is putting uh, fire safety, building safety first. If that's not happening, if that culture isn't in place, then then all of this other work we're doing uh, doesn't have the framework to sit in that it needs to be able to to go forward and, and ultimately deliver on a on a sustainable, safe environment to to live and function in. So. Um, it really is looking for that for that leadership and culture piece. Um, as you mentioned in, in the introduction, Chris, uh, I am responsible for the Building Safer Future Charter and also the Code for Construction Product Information. And both of those schemes um, really are about creating an ecosystem that supports that cultural change that's needed right the way across the built environment sector. And when that's put in place, um, then we start to reduce risk and, and sort of um, dial down uh, some of the, the, the behaviours that are out there that, that sit behind the concerns in relation to fire safety, risk and building safety. Thanks, Amanda. It's, it's interesting you, uh, you talk about cultural change and it does figure uh, feature in, in the paper to, to ensure that's encapsulated in a proposed strategy driving that cultural improvement across the construction industry. Actually, cultural change across any industry is difficult. I think it requires the, the building safety regulator to stimulate policy from, from the client's boardroom to the, to the on-site workforce. Cultural change is really difficult to do. I don't know if we can drive it from the top down. It needs probably to come from inside the industry. But... Um, so from your perspective, what it obviously needs a lot of things to happen. What do you think is the one key change that we could do to, to start that cultural change um, that, that we'd all like to see? Maybe just drill down to one thing rather than try and change the whole culture in one sentence, so to speak. Well, Chris, just just sort of rowing back on that just, just a little bit. The, 
you you would expect the, the sort of one change you know to come from you know uh ultimately the the the, the morality the you know the 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 moral argument that this is this is the that, that putting building safety fire safety first from a leadership and a culture perspective in any organization is absolutely the right thing to do uh that that would be I'm sure your expectation, my expectation, and the expectation of many across the industry. Um, but the reality is, is, is that uh, that isn't necessarily going to be what, what drives new behaviours. Um, we'll see, as you say, the regulator make some difference. Um, uh, the new regulation come in. I would expect that framework to, in, in its way, as a regulator, um, seek to drive behaviours. But there are other ways to drive uh, new behaviours and bring in culture change. Um, market incentives, market mechanisms uh, are some of those. So the advantage and, and hopefully the, the benefit that tools such as the Code for Construction Product Information or Building a Safer Future can bring to this is uh, are ways that, that organisations can differentiate themselves, can show themselves um, to be going through uh, these processes of putting uh, fire safety, building safety first and um, and can prove that they're doing that through these independently verified uh, processes and, and also learn through those processes. And um, you're right, culture change isn't easy and it isn't going to happen overnight. And there's a lot to learn. We we um, when we set up uh, Building Safe for Future, we looked to other industries that all deal with um, uh, managing major hazard safety and oil and gas, chemicals, aviation, nuclear, rail. They, there's, there's all so much that they have learnt in order to help organisations in those industries um, make, make dealing with, with this kind of safety business as usual. Uh, the construction sector, the built environment sector is very good at um, having made occupational health and safety business as usual. So, so, so the one change is we need to make fire safety, building safety, business as usual by putting it first uh, from a leadership and a culture perspective. That's, that's what we're really after. And the opportunity to learn from those other sectors and use the tools that we've created through Building Safe Future and COVID Construction Product Information will really help the, the industry with that. So, so I think the key is look to the market incentives, look to the opportunity to differentiate yourselves as organisations. And, and there is, there is the, the opportunity for push-pull here. There's the opportunity for within the industry, for clients, for contractors, um, uh, for organisations that, that are, are working with uh, their supply chain to look for companies that are using the tools that help them prove that they are, um, they've got the leadership and culture in place, which is putting um, building safety and fire safety first. It, it, that's fascinating. And, and, and actually, Amanda, I, I, I've been somewhat sceptical that we'll get the change that we wanted. It's taken five years to get where we are. Um, but just over the last few months, perhaps six or so, I have seen a change. I have seen the direction kind of culture beginning to change. I guess that's what it is. And I spent yesterday at the London Build Expo and the way people were talking, listening to the presentations, I had to do a, a summary of the changes since Grenfell. And there were lots and lots and lots of things 
that government's been doing, that the industry's been doing, the you know, the code of practice, building a safer future, all that you, you've been doing. I do see it going in the right direction, despite my yes. scepticism over the last last years. It, it does seem yeah. to be going the right way. Absolutely. I mean, scepticism is healthy. Uh, it's a healthy thing. Um, it will it will help drive the co- the conversation forward. But there but there are there are some amazing organisations and individuals in this sector who are really putting their 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 hearts and minds into bringing in new culture, showing leadership within their organisations to reduce um, the risks that fire safety, that building safety uh, represent. But it is a completely new landscape, and uh, in, in terms of really getting hold of it and 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 putting it at the heart of of um, everyone's thinking and, and behaviours, there, there's there's a lot to learn there. And I would I would urge anybody to engage with the Building Safer Future Charter, um, engage with the Code for Construction Product Information as, as we get that moving over the next few months, and and ultimately uh, use those tools to learn to develop. Um, and to create a leadership and a culture that, that really does put building safety, puts fire safety first. I'm, uh, I'm genuine. Thank you. I'm genuinely sorry we, we don't have more time to, to talk on this. And it's been it's been absolutely fascinating. And I yeah, really wish we could talk longer. Um, before we wrap up, though, maybe one final major point from, from you, Amanda. And you're not allowed to say culture change in your answer. That's not fair. <laughs> um, I think, I suppose my final point is, I think it's not about waiting for regulation anymore. I think it's not about waiting for, for, the, for the regulator to, uh, to do something. We, we've seen the Fire Safety Act come in. We've seen the Building Safety Act come in. We know that the secondary legislation for building safety uh, to come through uh, over the next few, few months. Um, but actually... Uh, I think the the onus is is now on the industry really to um, start driving this whole agenda forward. And and I can't give you an answer on this without saying it is about leadership and culture change. That is what we've got to deliver on. And if we can deliver on that, then we have the framework to be able to put in all the fantastic innovation, um, uh, all of the other thinking that that has been going on, Chris. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. That was a little unfair. So. It was. <laughs> so thanks, thanks Amanda. Uh, thanks again. Thanks uh, for for to everybody that's listened. For any of our listeners wishing to access the the white paper that we've spoken about today, you can do so via the Fire Sector Federation's website at firesectorfederation all one word dot co dot uk. And sadly, that's a, that's a wrap for series two of Assembly Point. I'm sure we'll be doing uh, series three in 2023. So uh, watch this space. If there are any topics of discussion you, you like to hear about or you want to uh, participate and put your get your point across, um, please let us know. Email myself or marketing at the fpa.co.uk. And thanks for listening. Have a great end of the year. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the FPA's Assembly Point podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. To avoid missing out on future episodes, hit the subscribe button. To listen to previous episodes of Assembly Point, or for more guidance and resources on reducing the risks of fire, please visit thefpa.co.uk.